0: It was really like a titanic moment where it was like is there room on the door for the student and the plan
1: no <laughs> <laughs> hello teachers
0: i'm Bert threes and you're listening to college writing Actuary, where we talk about the how to and how come of college writing and writing instruction every other wednesday while forward in session today i'm joined by dr stacy lawrence the Senior Associate Director for STEM Initiatives at Brown University Sheridan Center for Teaching and Learning.
1: Thank you for making time to talk to us today, Dr. Lawrence. Thank you for the invitation, Britt. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to have you here. A brief intro for Dr. Lawrence. She supports members of Brown's STEM teaching and learning community by developing a robust, a robust <laughs> suite of programs to support Brown's commitment to diversity and inclusion. Dr. Lawrence holds a PhD in molecular, cellular, and developmental biology from Yale University, a MA in biology from Fisk University, come on for the HBCUs, (laughs) and a BA in biochemistry and molecular biology from Clark University, not the HBCU in Atlanta, (laughs) so that we are clear. No shade, though.
1: Clark Worcester.
0: Clark (laughs) Worcester. (laughs) Not the same place. Okay, so today we are going to get into how to teach from where you are, something I wish we talked about more in the academy, outside of teaching and learning centers, because not everyone comes to teaching and learning centers, but we all need the resources they provide, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. let's get into it, teaching from where you are, I know what I mean when I say that, but you actually brought this topic up, Dr. Lawrence, so what do you mean?
1: Yeah, and I'd also love to hear what you, what Resonated with you about yes. that title, but uh, what I came up with, or when I came up with it, I was thinking, you know, just like you said, like people think um, teaching or teaching development has to be this big production, and oftentimes if you do and take small steps. Uh, To teach from where you are, using the resources that are more readily available to you, Um, you can still see great change in the product that you're producing for your students and the learning that happens in the classroom. So it doesn't have to be this big production. You don't have to have a CTL of 15 people to help you with your work. You just have to have your pen, your paper, your teaching materials, and taking some time to be a little bit reflective on what you're doing and how you plan on doing it. A CTL? Center for Teaching and Learning. I see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, My goodness. I was like, what? Run that back. Okay, yes.
1: Jargon, my bad. Yeah,
0: well, listen, as long as you gloss it, jargon on. Cool. Okay, yeah. So it's similar to that. I think as a a grad student, I, as someone who was recently a grad student, I'm coming from a particular, like, hmm, how to say this politely. I think a lot like grad students experience a lot of, not I think, grad students certainly experience a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And some of that is, you know, doubts and things that are um, unfortunately like in us at this point. And some of those things are, are, impressions we receive Mm -hmm. from universities, from departments, from professors who feel the need to remind grad students that, oh, you're a grad student, Mm -hmm. but grad students have teaching responsibilities, and so it's hard to balance the, let's say, professional humility Mm -hmm. that some faculty uh, enforce heavily and, and to feel competent enough to enter a classroom. And so when I think of teaching from where you are, I'm, like, teaching as ABD, teaching as a second year who has to lead sections in a large class, like, teach uh, teaching from when you are as someone who really just takes attendance, but also grades mm-hmm. students' work. Like, so from every level, and then getting out of grad school and being like, oh, shucks, like, I'm a, I'm a teacher now, which it's not, like, I'm a teacher now, I really have always been, but, like, that's the... That's part of the imposter syndrome of it all. So I think of what resources have really helped me to be someone who is, quote unquote, just a grad student, but also is an educator, is a voice in the classroom with authorities and responsibilities and how to navigate that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I love that I'll add on to that because I think part of it, too, is um we have such a deficit way of thinking about mm-hmm. teaching and learning or just our experiences in the acad in academia. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is knowing that strength of being a grad student. You say just a grad student, but mm-hmm. you had to have had K through 12 experience. You yes. had to have had a uh, college experience. And so you've been a student, right? And you've had positive and maybe not so positive learning experiences. And so you can draw from that experience to create the type of teacher that you want to be in the moment, right? And so you can say, well, you know, I had this great science teacher in fifth grade and I learned X from them, mm-hmm. or I had this terrible grading experience in college, I learned Y from that, mm-hmm. and you can use that to kind of co- put together a comprehensive view of what teaching and learning means to you, and use that, and enact that in your teaching and learning experience, no matter where you are.
0: Yeah, that is true, that is true, I think that's an important, pa- I'm always talking about paradigm shifts on here, <laughs> that's an important paradigm shift <clears throat> to to make of well, what surplus of information mm-hmm. do I have, even if it's anecdotal like mm-hmm. anecdotal experience is experience
1: experience is experience.
0: experience is experience it is. and it helps me to understand how how these things that we can just read about in a textbook actually play in the classroom like mm-hmm. how they make people feel mm-hmm. yes no that's very important, that's very important. so How does one actually go about teaching from where you are? We've gone from a deficit to a surplus mindset, check plus, but how do I use it? How do I do it?
1: Yeah. So I think if I could share three things with your listeners um, based on my experience, Mm -hmm. uh, facilitating course design and assignment design institutes and workshops, um, it would be this. So the first is to be reflective, and I'll go into a little bit more about what that means. The second is to develop uh, relevant learning goals and also uh, setting or developing uh, authentic uh, learning assessments. Um, And so we can go a little bit into what each of those mean. And so the being reflective part, I think as researchers, we are Um, inherently drawn to reflection in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You can edit that out if you want, if that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think back to my experience as a scientist in the lab, we have lab notebooks. Mm -hmm. We run experiments, we do something one day, and we have to note down what we did, what worked, what didn't work, and how we're going to improve for the next time that we iterate on that particular thing. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when I work with scientists or folks in the STEM community, about teaching and learning, it's doing that. It's taking a journal um, or you know a notebook that you've had and said, okay, I had this teaching experience on Monday. Um, what went well, what didn't go well, and what might I do the next time uh, when I meet these students, perhaps on Wednesday or next Monday, uh, to really try to improve or gauge, uh, take the temperature of the room and, and improve uh, the learning for the students that are inside of that space uh, for that time. Um, So it's being reflective and not just saying, okay, well, I had a plan, and my plan was to accomplish X, Y, and Z on Monday, and I'm going to continue with that plan and not make adjustments uh, to really meet the needs of the students that are are in front of you.
0: Yeah, and if I could, I think that's such an important lesson to learn. Some learn it easier than others. Mm -hmm. I have really had to learn flexibility Mm -hmm. because I'm a very, I'm very type A, this is the plan, Mm -hmm. execute the plan plan for the plan if the plan fails rescue the plan right right Um, but as a teacher i think the rescue effort should be oriented towards the students Mm -hmm. like oh the plan is failing the students do i rescue the plan or rescue the students Mm -hmm. and we you got to choose the students right for me that it shouldn't be a hard choice but like i said i'm a planner so i was like It was really like a titanic moment where it was like, is there room on the door for the
1: student and the plan? No. There isn't. You got to choose one.
0: You have. And yes, I have to choose. And I, I I choose my students. I choose my students. Yeah. It was hard though. Because I, you spend so much time lovingly making the plan, but I think really getting into the classroom helps. Like looking into the eyes of a student who is frustrated because they're not getting it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, not that, like, oh, my plan did this to you. Like, it's an origin story or something. But, like, like again, that emotional impact, like being able to tap into how you have felt in a classroom when you've been frustrated, being able to tap into that and be empathetic enough Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm going to have to readjust how we talk about this concept I thought it was going to be a quick concept but it turns out y'all don't have the foundation i thought you had that's happened to me mm-hmm. multiple times yep. and that sets my plan back but it's not setting the student back they're right where they've always been it's it's going to it's creating something that actually is better suited towards them and so i think also teaching is is very analogous to research but i think in a more like Mundane way, it's also very analogous to like being a tailor. Mm. Like, you got a mm. suit that you have for a student, you hope that they can rock it well, and they put it on, and it's like, huh, mm-hmm. that is not the fit I thought it would be. And yep. then you gotta nip tuck some stuff. Yep, yep,
1: yep. Yeah, and I think too, it's not gonna be the same for every student, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the challenges, um, in, in college, right, is that students come from a variety of pre-college experiences, right? Nice. Some people um, went to private school, some people went to public schools, mm-hmm. some people went to heavily resourced institutions and sure. others did not. Some people took time off to do something else, mm-hmm. maybe the army or you know military or just something experiential. Like mm-hmm. I think I was recently talking to a student who is just gonna take a couple of years off and just travel, right, and then go to college right and Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things is that you have to teach the students that you have they're not all going to come in this like tailored suit fit for your course I really love this analogy you know some are going to have more loosely fitting clothing some are going to need you to let out those seams a little bit right and so thinking about how to create a customized experience but for multiple students in your course so that's where the work comes in right Um, so yeah
0: I love that you said that's where the work comes in because as a As a student, and maybe this is a commentary on either teachers making it look easy or teachers not doing enough, but as a student, there were not many teachers that I had over the course of my life who made teaching look rigorous. Mm. I had lots of teachers that made the job look difficult, and difficult in a way where it was just like, you're kind of bad at this like this job is really on top of you huh like you're (laughs) you are not on top of it Mm -hmm. and so I think what has encouraged me is seeing teachers who show the rigor of teaching versus making teaching look hard Um, and so teachers for instance to your to your um, very good point about it's hard to make a tailored suit for a class of 18 mm-hmm. or a class of 10. You mm-hmm. got 10 different people in there with, with 10 different pre-college experiences or if they're grad students, different, like, pre-graduate experiences, whatever. Like, you, it's just, it's, it is a task. And I will never forget um, having a professor, um, Professor Jasmine Johnson, Dr. Jasmine Johnson. Okay. She, yes, I... Being in her class was one of the most amazing experiences that I have had in graduate school. And I'm really, really glad that I caught her while she was at Brown. And it was a it was a theater and performance studies class. It was a critical ethnography. Wow, okay. I actually remembered. It was critical <laughs> ethnography. I, had, I didn't even really know what that was. But I took it. So the first day of class, she already had the syllabus. Like, you have to already have your syllabus available. Yes. So we already had it. Um, and on the first day we're doing introductions and she's like you know tell me who you are what department you're coming from a little bit about what you know about critical ethnography or your research something, something like that and so there were like 15 or a little bit more of us in that class we all go around we all do it and she's writing down mm-hmm. what we're saying so I'm like okay and then at the end of it she's like all right. So while we have a lot of different kind of thinkers in the room, she says this, by the way, in this incredibly graceful way that she has of just being in the world. So try to picture that if you can. <laughs> um, but OK, we have a lot of diverse thinkers in the room. I'm going to have to go back and revise this syllabus yeah. to meet you all, not just your needs, your interests. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and she revised that syllabus no less than three times Mm -hmm. over the course of that class as she knew more of what we were looking for, what interested us. And I just remember thinking, that is the difference between showing the rigor of teaching versus showing teaching as hard. And I I will never forget, and that's an an example, though, of the rigor. Like, the rigor is in the caring. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't care, it can be simplified. Mm -hmm. Go in, execute the plan, get out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but when you really start being accountable to your students and their learning goals versus just your course design objectives, it changes everything. Yep. Multiple times.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what, for me at least, what makes teaching, like, a joyful experience mm-hmm. is Showing like the work in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To meet the needs of the students, right? Right. So you might have a question about, I don't know, plants or something (laughs) like that. You know, that's what my PhD is in, right? So you might be very curious about plants from one perspective, and one of your classmates might might be curious about plants from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And the beauty in that work is figuring out how to translate you know, across boundaries, right? And differences and making sure that our goals are still met, right? But everybody adds something different to the conversation. And I think that what that like holistic view of teaching and learning for me is what makes it fun. It's not just my perspective. Mm-hmm. It's how can I also learn from my students who are coming into this space as as novice, right? As people who are willing to learn and motivated to learn as well. Yeah.
0: Relevant learning goals. I think that we sort of got into this a little bit when talking about like for instance Dr. Johnson like Mm -hmm. revising that syllabus according to what we wanted to know but what can you say more about what you mean by setting relevant learning goals and I'm particularly interested in like how do you how do you measure
1: the relevance? with assessments, but yeah. Okay, we got some segues in here. I know, we're jumping ahead, we're jumping ahead. So uh, for setting relevant learning goals, I think what I usually coach people uh, to do uh, when I'm in consultations is really thinking about what's after the class, right? So it's not just what we're doing in this one class Mm -hmm. today, but what are you preparing students for, right? College is a bit of an incubator in a lot of ways, right? And so students are not gonna live here forever, you're not going to be their audience as their instructor forever, but you're preparing them for something else. And I think this also goes in line with getting to know your students, right? Getting to know what motivates them, where they're headed, and customizing the learning goals to meet those. Of course the curriculum has goals that you need to meet um, at the institution, for your discipline, and you have to meet those. and I probably should have brought an example, but like, you know, thinking about, you know, it's not just about creating critical uh, thinking skills or critical writing skills. That is important. But what is the medium that they're writing? Are they writing for you as their audience or are they writing for the world? And so this is why I tend to ask people to create um, authentic assessments. So instead of having your typical two midterms and a final or a paper um, that is just a traditional way of writing, Mm -hmm. maybe introducing more modern ways of writing or more modern assignments uh, that really reflect what the job might be that the students might go on in the future, right? Mm -hmm. So you might think like in a biology course, um, you know, students might be doing a particular type of of research or a particular type of writing. Mm -hmm. And so making the assignments mirror what that might look like in a job that a student might actually have after they leave Mm -hmm. this particular experience.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important. You've already said it, but it's so good. Like, you're not going to be their audience forever. And I think that's the that's the missing link mm-hmm. about there's a lot of conversation going on right now about whether college is even relevant. Yep. There are so many students, high school students, who are choosing just not to go to college because they're like, for what? To go into debt and maybe get a job? Like...
1: Maybe get a job.
0: Maybe get a job. And I don't want Sally Mae to know me on a first name basis for a maybe job situation like it ain't worth it. So and I feel them. I'm like, no, it is not. not. No, it is not. not. But if the understanding of college was that it really was preparing you for what you were going into, Mm -hmm. there wouldn't be as I think there would not be as much growing apathy Mm -hmm. towards the institution as something that is very much an incubator and very much like a shadow of life. Like It's almost like the Plato's Cave allegory. It's like you're looking at shadows on a wall. Mm. You're not even really seeing the sun. Mm. And when you get out there, there are some college students who are just not ready. The shadows do not match the trees, Mm -hmm. the bees, and the birds. Like It's just not the same and they're unprepared. And employers also have that sort of like wariness mm-hmm. of recent college grads because they're like, You've been in that cave, like I need you to reorient yourself to real life. And I think that I think that if us authentic assessments were more the norm, such that people knew that in college is that that's what you're gonna get, mm-hmm. then they would be more confident in the capacity of college grads to integrate into a workforce more readily because they know that that's what they've been preparing for as opposed to, now nah, you gotta go to trade school for that.
1: Right. Right yeah and I think that's the beauty of having um, even like uh, professionals come in and mm-hmm. you know like if you have a guest speaker in your course right and develop an assessment even asking that person like hey what's a typical thing that like work product that you might have mm-hmm. um, in your role at X company right. and then mirror something like that in the classroom as an assignment for a student So like to your point about job readiness, right? I think that in a lot of our courses we try, and this is a g- generalization, but in a lot of courses, we're very wedded to the idea of what the canon has been, what tradition has been, and I think part of it is preparing students for something else, so again, mm. with this incubator um analogy, and um readying students for a variety of work experiences, and so I think this is where transferable skills come in, so things like Um, problem solving writing communication like these are things that can happen in any course regardless of whether they're in the sciences the humanities or the social sciences and so thinking about ways that we can highlight these skills for students in really unique ways um, that replicate what happens outside of the classroom
0: yeah yeah and that's also more what is the word it's more legible Mm -hmm. for employers to know what skills you have like your GPA is irrelevant to them. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you could have, like, not for nothing. Like, if you got a 1.3, they're going to be like, okay, it's probably going to be enough for me, Bob. But right. if you got a 4.0, they're still going to be like, well, what does that mean that you can do, though? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that sort of trying to integrate some of the tactical, some of the, not tactical, but some of the, like, very clear and apparent. Skill development that trade schools are known for Mm -hmm. into college education, honestly, whether it's liberal arts or pre professional, Mm -hmm. like that, that is more legible for the workforce. And I think a lot of times we treat college, I mean, in college is a privilege, like, not everyone can go. We're in a particular place with some resources set up, whether you, whether your institution has more or less resources than others, you have more resources than someone who's not in college at all, Mm -hmm. and so. I think that 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 very like privileged position that college has been pleased to hold has made the university feel the academy feel like they don't have a responsibility to something as plebeian as work (laughs) it's like oh yeah you're in this classroom it's like a gilded Mm -hmm. not a gilded cage but it's a gilded classroom where it's just like just think, just walk with me it gets very Aristotelian. Mm-hmm. It's very Socratic, like yeah. as they love to say. And It's like, yeah, that's cute, but um, how am Sally Mae? Right,
1: right. Which is a real thing, it, right?
0: Very. She is calling you on the day of six months,
1: <laughs> January first, twenty twenty-three. Can
0: I tell you yes. that yes. I literally <laughs> have a friend? Now, this is a this is an off the cuff case, but I have to say this. Mm-hmm. They called her six months to the day. Yep. That woman called and said, are you in bed? You need to be getting up figuring out how you're going to pay us back. Now, I said, you need to be
1: fired. This is not what they said. Yes, it is. Are you serious? Yes, I am. That's wrong. That's she not right.
0: Literally, was like, "How you go pay these loads back? Uh-uh. Get up out your bed." Wow. Yeah, I was like, "Not nah, surely that's what Sally May is thinking," <laughs> but I did not know the telephone operators were empowered to say this. They should not be. They should not be <laughs> disturbing was, my
1: peace. Hello, <laughs> I'm trying to wrap my mind around this situation. You talking about get up out your right. bed, right? Right. <laughs> Do you have a job for me? Is the call center hiring? Hello? Right. Can I be
0: where you are? Because right. you should be up out that seat losing your job right now for talking to me like this. Crazy. I'll read through the script, Sally Mae. <laughs> Hire me. Mm-mm. But that, but that, even if they're not saying it like that, mm-hmm. and they should not be, that's the thought. And it's definitely on students' mind, that like, especially if a student is not coming from a, an economically privileged background, mm-hmm. like... I need to pay this back and no one's going to do it for me so I need to be figuring out a way. I think that goes into student apathy. Uh Midterms and finals are stressful, full stop. They are frustrating when it's like I'm being stressed out for something that's not even transferable. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. It really just seems like a group delusion. Yeah, because you don't have midterms and finals in the real world. You don't. I don't know any of a f- I have friends who have deadlines that they have to meet, right. right, in their careers and in their jobs. But do you have four big deadlines? Because if you're taking four courses, right, do mm-hmm. you typically have four big deadlines at the same time? Probably not. And oftentimes in your job, you may have the autonomy to say, okay, well, look, like... I have something, you know, right. January 5th, can I get two more weeks? You know, there there are ways that you can be a little bit more autonomous in the way that you do your work. You can't often negotiate in college no. to move a midterm deadline. Not
0: unless you have a serious family emergency. <laughs>
1: and that has to, and then that's a stressful t- situation yes. on top of an already stressful situation. Right. So.
0: Yeah, no, it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. And I think that actually gets us to getting to know your students and being equity minded. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so I think um, a little bit about that. So thinking to your point about students coming in from a variety of backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and not everyone is going to be at the starting point of where you expect them to be. And so getting to know your students is important and making sure that you're creating assignments that are um, uh, helping students who are new to the college experience, particularly if you're teaching um, you know, first and second year students that show them the process mm-hmm. um, of how to do certain things. So I will just say, just more explicitly, um, one of the frameworks that we use in one of the programs that I do uh, at the Sheridan Center um, uses the TILT framework, for the tra- so the Transparency in Learning and Teaching, or TILT, framework uh, that was produced by the AACNU several years ago. Um, And it's lovely because it has faculty members when they're designing these assignments to really think about what knowledge the student should be showcasing on that particular assignment, Mm -hmm. what learning goals students will be meeting, Um, that are relevant to the course. And then stepwise, going through all of the tasks that the students need to be doing, right? And so the purpose is very clearly outlined for students. Mm -hmm. Um, This could be very relevant to the course itself or to something beyond the course. Mm -hmm. The steps that the students need to do are outlined. Mm -hmm. So if they see this assignment in the future, they know how to self-evaluate, right? And then the final piece is the criteria. So being very clear with your students about how you will be grading them on this particular assignment. Yeah. So there are no gotcha moments, right? A student turns in an mm. assignment, even if they had four more assignments that are due that week, they kind of, in a little bit, you're kind of like moderating their stress in a bit away because they already know what to expect, right? Yeah. Um, and so, thinking about equity is that like everyone's not going to already know how to do that problem set. Everyone's not already going to know how to write an essay and helping to bridge that gap um, between where different students are in the course would also help you in grading, right? You're not going to be as frustrated because you've already kind of outlined the expectations for Mm -hmm. students and that's like a way to communicate what the expectations are for a particular assignment Mm -hmm. in a particular course.
0: I love everything you just said and <laughs> I really do and I'm like as you were speaking I was like and this is the heart of it mm-hmm. like this is the heart of teaching from where you are the knowledge we have like we we're here because we know blah blah but no knowing that someone knows something is not the same thing as appreciating them as a good
1: teacher mm. Mm-hmm.
0: I mm-hmm. know several professors who could think me under a table. Mm-hmm. I would not want to be in their classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with with trusting them as an empathetic
1: mm-hmm.
0: educator. Yeah. Right, like not as a rigorous or critical thinker. That's why you have all the books and the accolades and shout out to you. That's your ministry. Right. Education may not be. Right. Like you like you need empathy to be a teacher you just do and if you're not re- willing to learn it there's a lot of harm that you have the power to impose upon mm-hmm. students yes because you don't know where they're coming from and it is frustrating like not for nothing I don't want to gl- gloss over the fact that teaching is rewarding it's also Frustrating. It's also challenging. Yeah, like it's it, all of those. It's all of those yeah. things. And if you're not willing to in really engage and like through a reflective practice, name it. Because I am much less effective as a frustrated educator when I don't admit that I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta say this is frustrating, and maybe it's frustrating because your students aren't really trying, and you can see that. But equity would be like, oh my gosh, they're not trying. Could we go down rabbit holes of like, uh, spoiled, uh, one yeah. percenters, uh, yeah. blah blah. Sure, you could, but what use is that? Because you are not even at the midterm here, mm-hmm. so you might as well figure out a way to be in that class- classroom in a way that you will be proud of upon reflection, not in a way that will make you feel ashamed of yourself, like you need to apologize mm-hmm. to these humans. Yeah. Right? So, I, and especially during the pandemic, I think we've all had to enter the classroom with more empathy than ever before. Mm -hmm. And so I think at the heart of of teaching from where you are is being willing to be reflective and empathetic. That will lead you to a good practice Mm -hmm. of education because you think about all of these little things. You think about, okay, Emily is more quiet today. I'm not gonna get frustrated that they're not talking, messing up my assignment. I'm gonna think about okay, well, what are some ways that I can fold into my practice verbal and nonverbal manners of participation? Mm-hmm. Right? Can I try the minute essay? Mm-hmm. Can I try small groups? Can I try um, what what like what are some things? Can I try put it in the chat? Right? If we're in Zoom, if we're not, can I try? Hey, let's all just write some things on the board. Yeah, I'm gonna ask some questions. Yeah, we're gonna write this on the board. After some five, after five minutes, we'll be able to share what we have. If you do not want to share what you wrote, that's fine. I see your participation. It is before me, yeah. right? Like I think that sort of annotated education, like you said, relieves stress from students mm-hmm. because as a student, I recall professors who took clear joy and press in pressing me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was like a badge of honor that they could stress these students out over their class. Yeah. To the deprioritization of their own mental health, well-being, right? Exactly, yeah. and mm-hmm. so I think that's a huge part of teaching where you are is being equity-minded, and not—and that doesn't just mean race, sex, gender, sexuality like that. It that doesn't just mean that. That mm-hmm. is the the full context of your student. Yep. Are you being accountable to, responsible of, and welcoming of that that piece of them, mm-hmm. whether yeah. it's visible or not?
1: Yeah. And the thing is that there's so many students that have so many um, uh, hidden uh, diversity, yes. right? And you're never gonna know until you ask a student. And I think that there's a lot of times that there's um, disconnect between uh, admissions and the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how closely those two bodies on a you know on a campus speak yeah. or to one another. Yeah. And so the admissions might have a very f- complete portfolio of what a student looks like, mm-hmm. but oftentimes that's not communicated to the instructor who has to teach students every year, mm-hmm. for four years, right, throughout. And so I think it's just that we don't have a complete view of who our students are when they come. And so mm-hmm. it's important, it's imperative, right, that we get to know them, we take that responsibility on and say, okay, well, where are you coming from? Where are you headed? How can I be a catalyst in that process, yeah. right? And and taking that time and being patient with yourself as an instructor because you're growing as well right it's not just a I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna wave my magic wand and my students will be fixed it's I'm being changed in that process too and to your point you're developing a more empathetic you're sharpening your empathy tool as well and so giving yourself grace in the process Mm -hmm. right Um, particularly the last two years, right? But not losing what we've done over the last two years now that we're transitioning back, right? So that empathy is still needed now, right? When we're in 2022, when we're in 2023 Mm -hmm. and beyond to really meet the students where they are, right? Because they might not come in where they, I mean, there's data already that shows that the students over the last five years, they're just different, right? That's a good word. I mean, I, I don't look very closely at all of this data because I think some folks use data uh, to That's tell. Right, right. The narrative is, oh, y- 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 yeah, exactly. The narrative is important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but like the data shows that the trends uh, in, in the types of students that are coming to college now and it's just that we have to just be per- better prepared in ways that we weren't before and I think part of that is sharpening that empathy tool, right, because yeah. you just don't know who's going to be before you in the fall, right? right.
0: Right, and I think what's... E- okay, I'll say one thing, and then we'll segue. Mm-hmm. I'm announcing the segue to keep myself accountable. <laughs> so, so I think one thing that has helped me at, th- at this stage, right, is mentors. Mm-hmm. The professors that I have who showed me the beautiful rigor of teaching, I asked them questions about it. Like, when I, when I started teaching as a grad student at Brown at every level whether I was like I was basically a grader who had to show up at these classes also Mm -hmm. just out of obligation Mm -hmm. or whether it was like oh I'm teaching sections or even when I taught my own class I had professors who knew me who I could be like okay so this was a really hard thing Mm -hmm. that happened it was hard because of student stuff it was hard because of my own stuff I had this particular bias I have this particular expectation it's really coming into play and I don't even know if I can see straight Mm -hmm. and one thing that a professor told me when I was when I first got in I had a very much it was not a partnership mentality. Mm. It was like I'm going into the trenches. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get one over on me. Mm-hmm. You're not going to ask for an extension for nothing that you don't really need. <laughs> like it was really just like, like I was going into a war zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to slash venting to one of my um, committee members who is who is who, who's teaching practice I admire. Meyer. And I was like, yeah, I just. Oh, they play too much, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It was very... <laughs> I'm being so honest with y'all right now that <laughs> if you say that you ain't never done that, you just shame the devil right now. I'm just telling you right now. So I that's how I was thinking, right? Uh-huh. To this professor's credit, he did not shame me for that. He made me welcome to say how i'm experiencing because you can't be reflective dishonestly Mm, mm -hmm. like that's not reflection Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's deflection Mm -hmm. like you you really have to look in the mirror and behold yourself everything that's there whether it's flattering or not and it's helpful if you have someone who can walk alongside you through that process and and keep you honest but also keep you growing Mm -hmm. right okay we didn't like what we saw in that moment here's something to think about. Here's a challenge that you may want to take on in order to get to the other side, a stronger version of yourself as an educator. And as I'm venting and da-da-da, and truly just assuming the most manipulative Uh version of my students. And he was like, I have learned to assume that everyone is doing their best. It does not matter how that best comes before you. And if you expected their best to be better, mm. they are doing their best. It is a waste of your energy to to assume anything else. Because you can't do anything about it anyway. You case. cannot do a single thing about what it. Does it <laughs> what does it profit you?
1: What does it profit you? What does it
0: profit you to sit up here thinking about all the different ways Emily trying to get over on you? Right. And whether or not her grandfather is truly sick and she needs to drop to the hospital. Like, what? Listen. What? What What are you saying right now? Right. That wasn't the situation, but I'm just throwing it out there. Like, Even if it's something smaller, like, they don't feel well. Okay. Well, what you gonna do? I think that, like, those smaller moments are what make us feel entitled Mm -hmm. to that sort of investigative mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Or We're the, researchers. We Right. 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 And sometimes <laughs> the researcher teacher, there's some tension between right. that. Right. But th- that lesson of assume that your students are doing the best that they can. And then from there on, you just move with the mindset of equity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Like a student comes in and says they're not feeling well, they need an extension. I mean, at the end of the day, yes or no. Mm-hmm at the end of the day yes or no is it equitable do and for me like if i have a question at this point i'm just like this sounds like you need some support around this area
1: mm-hmm.
0: if that is true please see your dean of support so that they can more thoroughly um get you the resources that you need and then that the dean will reach out to me and we'll go from there yeah That's it. Like, because I'm not an investigator. Like, I am. I read all the mysteries, so I am. I am an investigator.
1: But not here. Not in this capacity. Not in this capacity. I got to turn it
0: off. And the way that I turn it off is by by acknowledging what the student has said. If I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you need some additional support Mm -hmm. at this time. If that is true, I would encourage you to reach out to your dean of, of student support and they will they will reach out to me and and tell me what I need to do next so that I can support you in the in the best manner possible. At that point the ball's in the student's court. Right. Do you want to take it there or not?
1: But on the flip side of that, right flip it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Like I've seen how faculty members over even before um, the pandemic Mm -hmm. um, create that flexibility in their courses. Again, replicating real world experiences. Mm. In the real world, you have sick days. In the real world, you have vacation days, right? That you can use when something happens, right. right? And so, giving students some leeway in assignments. So, say mm-hmm. for example, the deadline is January fifth. I mm-hmm. don't know why I keep talking about January, but say it is, and you know, you can tell a student that you know you have three major assignments that you need to complete. Um, here are the deadlines or checkpoints in the semester when they're due, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like you have forty-eight hours to turn in an assignment late. Um, or beyond the deadline I'm yeah. using quotes I don't and they can't quotes. see me yeah <laughs> right and just cre- like embedding that flexibility into the course because you're you're going through things too You yeah. part of the reason probably that you're taking this frustration out and being so investigative with your students come on me, come is because you've got a deadline right Mine like you've this. got other things that you're doing you probably have a paper you've got a book chapter to write you've probably got 20 other students to grade for on, right? on students I see you <laughs> so So be realistic and be kind to yourself. Bake that flexibility into your course. Mm. Say, okay, that's fine. You've got other deadlines. You probably have three other midterms around this time. Mm -hmm. You have a week beyond the deadline, positive, you know, adding or after Mm -hmm. to turn in this assignment, right? Mm. Being a little bit more flexible with the students. So I think it goes both ways, right? So instead of being this authoritative person and saying, Mm. go talk to your dean about it, one less conversation that you need to have. You have a week to you know up to a week after the deadline to turn this assignment mm. yeah teaching me no that's so good <laughs> that's so good
0: because it's true and that again that's part of the reflection is like why am i having such a severe reaction to emily, <laughs> being poor, emily. poor emily <laughs> baby going through it why
1: am i having such a severe reaction to this baby going through it right like, what
0: is it me? Am right. I the drama? Right. Am I the villain? Right. I don't
1: think I'm the villain. Right.
0: Like, that is, it's really that, where you really gotta be like, am I the drama? Mm-hmm. Like, is Emily the drama, or is it me standing in the need of prayer? Like, what's going on? And, yes. No, I, th- I think what you said is so good to tie in, like, that authentic assignment, that is, that is a true, like, paradigm. Like, mm-hmm. that is an ethic of classroom approach, right? Because... it's not just the assignments that need to be authentic to the real world. Mm -hmm. It's how we assign the assignments. It's how we format the assignments. It's how we grade the assignments. It's how we talk about the assignments. Mm -hmm. There are sick days. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. So then, how can I prepare my students to succeed in the real world? And then I don't have to wonder, well, what do I need to do? I, if I'm in the position of the quote-unquote boss of the employer or whatever, there's a way that that employees express i need time off or whatever like let's start bringing that in because it's more gracious right and again like those expectations are laid out when you're hired Mm -hmm. put it in the syllabus
1: there you go that's your hiring document. that's your hiring you've been been hired for this course
0: hello congratulations (laughs) payment pending oh well (laughs) (laughs) and a credit right yeah
1: right But I think what you've been talking, like, I think uh, this is a segue for sure. But I think one thing that you have been talking about uh, in your commentary today is, like, narratives, right? Mm -hmm. You are the hero of the journey of the story that you're writing, right? Mm -hmm. You are the protagonist. And anything that's adversarial to that in the narrative Mm -hmm. is, is, yeah, right? And so the student ends up being the villain in your narrative, right? Because, you know, here you are chugging along your day, blah, 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 blah. And now a student comes with an assignment that they have to turn in mm-hmm. late or there's another thing that's happening or my chair is doing X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. or my colleague is doing this yeah. and they become antagonistic to your journey, right? Your yeah. hero journey that you're on and okay. so I think you, you automatically in some ways, yeah, you take it, You your biases show, right? You're just mm-hmm. like, oh gosh, here's this thing that I have to do now. Mm-hmm. Look at what you're making me Trouble do. Maker. Right, so that's just a little a little insight that I have here because it's yeah. it's kind of true, right? It's like, definitely true. Were
0: y'all ready for this cycle? (laughs) when you pushed play because I was not but I'm here for it it's so good it's so good because that really that really puts a different spin on it Mm because I think that's something that I wasn't really aware of which you know pro tip reflection is never done no like even now I'm just like oh wait I'm so I'm not the drama I'm not the villain I'm the hero which makes everyone else the villain right
1: Mm. Can't be two heroes in a story, you, you're right? I mean, you—I would—I defer to you on that one. Well, there
0: can be, <laughs> there can be, but in the way, in, in a very Western view of storytelling, yes, yes. Western storytelling favors this lone ranger yes. Yes. situation, this yes. chosen one. Narrative. Can I be in my creative writing? Can we back have another session on storytelling? Because oh I am here for it. What? Yes. Y'all may
1: be getting this again. <laughs> Cause I am not playing. No, really. It, it does. Yeah. Okay. Y'all go sit that's Lawrence again. Y'all
0: be right. <laughs> Western storytelling favors this hero's journey trope of a chosen one on a mission with several different leagues of villains Mm -hmm. after them. Everything's an obstacle to be overcome. Mm -hmm. Everything's a challenge to be broken down. It's very much like power through. Mm -hmm. And the powering through causes harm to those around you, but it's justifiable harm because they're the villain and you're the hero. Mm -hmm. And so I think I resonate so deeply when you're like, oh, like it, it's your hero's journey. At first I was like, yeah, hero! <laughs> and then you kept talking, and I was like, oh, that's dangerous. But it's what's happening. It's what happens. It's yeah. what happens. And, and so, no, I definitely think there can be multiple heroes. But we're in a Western academy, most, yep. of, most of us. Well, uh, And so our hero's journey is not going to be like, let me see, what's the, like a, a, heist, a heist story. And mm-hmm. a heist, you're going to have multiple like you're going to have a team yes it's more it's more about a team achieving a mission it's not one person going after something and breaking down everyone and everything around them that's not the story that we think of though as the american story mm-hmm. and so no that's so good
1: yeah, and I think to to carry that through and link it back to teaching and mm-hmm. teaching from where you are is that it's not a hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. It's a collective mission, right? Yeah. It's the goals that you set out for your students, but it's also your students being a part of that process with you, right? Yes. So the goals of your course might not change, but they are customized to what your students need in the moment, yes. right? Um and what you do in the classroom does change, right? Like you have to be flexible because it's not your solo mission, right? It's you're not successful. I think I've heard this a lot over the last couple of years, but it's just like learning happens like oh, I'm gonna screw this up so you can cut this no, out. No, no, no. Like okay. teaching and learning, like learning doesn't happen if there's no teaching, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to actually teach mm-hmm. in order for your students to learn. Like those two things can't happen mm-hmm. in absence of, of the other, mm-hmm. right? And so like You can have your plan like we talked about before, but if your students aren't with you, if you're not on the same page, Mm. learning isn't happening, right? Not- Honestly, uh,
0: teaching isn't either. Teaching is not happening if learning is not happening. They're co-constituents. Right,
1: right so right so like in this situation like i think that maybe what teaching from where you are is is is, is making sure that your you and your students are on the same journey together right it's not wow. an independent journey and no. the expectations are aligned it's The an goals.
0: ensemble cast they gotta be with you Whew, i like this
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: ah. that's beautiful that is beautiful
1: podcast but I have two questions for you yes Dr. Lawrence I I am listening I have taken over (laughs) 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 so um We met in 2017, I think. That was a really long time ago.
0: Oh my goodness, a
1: whole panorama ago. A whole panorama ago. And uh, at that time, you were a grad student and I was teaching um, or facilitating a session um, uh, called uh, a part of Cert One, which is the Sheridan Center's uh, reflective teaching seminar. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I guess I'd like to learn what has stuck with you over the years. And then also, now you're facilitating your own section of the Sheridan Teaching Seminar, and so I'd love to learn about what your experience was in 2017, what stuck with you all that way, and maybe what are you learning now that you're you're, you're facilitating a session all on your own.
0: Yeah. So at the time of this recording, I am. By the time of this the listeners hear it, I'm gonna be past this point. Amen. Too. Preach. Eh, yes. 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 Receive it. <laughs> uh, so at this point, wow. So many versions of myself brought to bear here, but <laughs> I, I cannot believe... Okay, so I will say what has stuck with me. Clearly, I think by now listeners can guess what has stuck with me is the practice of reflective teaching mm-hmm. in itself. Mm-hmm. Because I keep going back to it because I think it's a foundation for so much. What I appreciate about reflective teaching is that recti- reflective teaching is a good foundation for teachers to be continuous learners. Mm. We talk about being lifelong learners, and I can say as someone who was like, yeah, lifelong learning, it's really not that simple Mm. to declare oneself a lifelong learner. Lifelong learner is a continuous practice of humility, of listening, of mentorship, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it's it's a vulnerability yeah. of transparency. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. And the more you advance in your career, the harder it is to maintain that posture yeah. of humility, uh, of transparency, of learning, of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard. And so... What I have really taken from that is keeping reflective teaching the foundation so that I can grow to newer heights, whether I'm learning about authentic assignments, whether I'm learning about um, equity, whether I'm learning about anti-racist teaching practices. There's so much for us to learn Mm -hmm. as educators. There always will be, but I think it's made more difficult when you don't have a reflective teaching practice because you're never beholding yourself. You're only ever looking for the splinter in someone else's eye Mm. never able to see the beam in your own Mm. right and that's a really Mm. dangerous way to move about the classroom in a position of authority and so I think reflective teaching keeps me humble and keeps me honest enough Mm. to everyday attempt to come to this thing that we call teaching with a heart to be better myself yeah. before I'm like here, so I can make y'all better in this particular arbitrary area of literature or writing or what have you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, what I what I heard, I'm echoing back to something you said earlier, is that, that that's not reflective, that's deflective. And so yeah. if you don't humble yourself in this process, yeah. in a lot of ways, you're gonna be deflecting, right? Like awesome. and, you're, and reflection is the name of the game. I love it. it sounds great
0: yes Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh this has been a whirlwind of a conversation we, hadn't, we had uh, a hypothetical order and uh, then we comp- as soon as we said hello the order went out <laughs> the window in this windowless room it was just gone to the wayside so thank you all listeners for, for bearing with us thank you so much Dr. Lawrence for this topic and for this conversation so many gems Teachers, if you have thoughts on this episode, take to Twitter, share your thoughts. Please mention us with our handle, at Real College Comp. If you have questions or deep musings about instructive pedagogy and practices, feel free to DM at Real College Comp. That's our Twitter for college writing, actually. And you can hear your topics on your favorite streaming platform. All right, y'all, we out of here. Wishing you, teachers, much growth. Bye.